Hello, and welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today, we'll be discussing Season 2, Episode 4, which is titled, What Life? The episode aired on October 12th, 1995. Lauren, what was going on this week 25 years ago? Absolutely diddly. I got nothing (laughs) for us. Aside from absolutely nothing, Fantasy by Mariah Carey is still the number one song, and Seven is the number one movie for the third straight week. Will it get to seven weeks? That'd be cool. Mm, Poetic. Uh, This week's episode, we've got 35.5 million viewers. Uh, I think last week was 35.6, so essentially kind of the same Um, this is going to be kind of the neighborhood that we're going to float inside of for the next few episodes until we hit a huge spike like biggest thus far spike um, just a few episodes from now Uh, this episode is directed by Dean Parasot 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 I really should look up how these names are pronounced beforehand, but I don't. This was his one and only episode of ER that he directed, but he also directed uh, Galaxy Quest, one of my favorite oh, movies. Nice. And is directing the upcoming Bill and Ted sequel. Uh, and then this episode was written by Carol Flint, uh, her first of 15 episodes that she would write through 1999. And she was also a producer on The West Wing for two seasons. So we got another West Wing connection. It's all in the NBC verse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> was West Wing NBC? Yeah. And getting into our episode proper, Holt is back. Uh, and she's knocking on the door to wake Mark up because he has a call from his wife. Um, and Halda is just totally rocking Doug's boxers and shirt and doing the hot 90s thing of... Maybe it's not a 90s thing necessarily, but... <laughs> the boyfriend shirt look. Exactly. And... When she got, when Mark gets up to go answer the phone, she is has her legs she has her leg up in the air, just straight up. Just and she's counting in German while she does ankle exercises and Mark and asks Mark if they're do, if, if they're alright. I I wanted to note that it was in German because don't we say that she's like Dutch or Norse or something? I feel like her nationality has changed several times. Like wasn't wasn't she Scandinavian at one point? General Eastern European ish. My, my point yeah. is they don't speak German. Like, they might learn how to speak it, but that's not their language. <laughs> so it's the like fact Lizzie that she... said, she's generic Eastern European hot. Yeah. Like, she just, it doesn't matter. Exactly. Um, but being generic Eastern European hot, Mark is all, Mark is all flustered by the sight. So, gotta stay the, stand your ground, Mark. Don't cheat on your wife. He won't. <laughs> Jennifer is pissed. Yeah. That's what he gets for staying at Doug's. Well, she'd be more pissed if he was staying at Susan's true yeah that's true but at least you have a little more excuse to be like oh yeah i'm helping susan out with the with her kid with her quote-unquote her kid <laughs> but he doesn't know that right now that's true and speaking of susan uh cut over to her she's getting frantically ready to get out the door with little susie in just the most uncontrolled chaotic way mm. there's controlled chaos and then there's what susan's doing here yeah mm. poor susan and chloe is still nowhere to be found yeah, Chloe is totally MIA. Um, so then we check in with Benton, who is working on his busted car at uh, Walt and Jackie's shop. Um, Jackie has given him some shade about messing with Jeannie, uh, which, you know, rightfully so. That's a total dumpster fire trash move. Um, he His car is not going to be fixed, so he's going to need to take the, the loaner into work. Um, Jackie's mad because uh, he was supposed to take he Benton's mad because he's missing out on a surgery and Jackie's mad because 
Benton was supposed to take her to work. So everybody's nobody's happy in this scene. We get a bit of dialogue that says Walt's not there because he's test driving a Porsche conveniently because also he's too big. He's too big of a movie star to actually appear in these episodes now. So this sort of is the beginning of the uh, Ving Rhames heard but not seen period on the show where like they can't really write his character off per se, but there's no there's no way they're going to be getting him in for these little like one off two or three line appearances anymore. He's too busy. He's too famous for that. So it's just like uh, we're just going to like find reasons for him not to be there. Yep. And then um, Susan had to make a quick stop at the convenience store because little Susie made a stinky and she was fresh out of diapers. So she had to quick grab some diapers on the way into work. And when she's coming out of the convenience store, a homeless man starts spraying her windshield and going to wipe it down. And she's like, oh, no, no, I'm good. You know, thanks. I'm in a hurry. Like, no. And he's like, oh, you're... You were my doc. You gave me some Demerol. That you know, I'll be, I'll be back to visit you. And she's like, uh huh, yep, great. And we're all, and like in this moment, everybody's tensing up, going like, oh god, is Susan about to get mugged? Like, what's about to happen? And then um, she gets in the car, and he goes around the side and looks in at baby Susie, and is like, oh, you know, she's so sweet, she's so pretty. And Susan's like, oh no, you know, she doesn't like strangers. Please, like, please back up. And little Susie immediately begins to cry, and then the guy leans over, and Susan panics for a second, thinking something, like he's going to grab baby Susie or something, and all of a sudden he stands up with the diapers, which she had left at the side of the car. He's like, no, you Mm -hmm. forgot these. And then we all feel like shit for judging this homeless man and thinking something terrible is about to happen. Mm -hmm. So just, Susan's stressed. With good reason. Yeah. Um, Then we go back to... Uh, well, sort of go back to Benton, but uh, Carter is waiting for Ben to sign off on a bunch of uh, surgical admits so they can be moved out of the ER and to lighten the gridlock that is currently being experienced downstairs in the ER. Carter just starts to ask, like, do I really need Benton for this? Like, can't we just can't we just move these people? Like, I want to get them upstairs, too. And Lydia says, ask Hal. A nice little reference to, oh, fucking, no, I totally forget the oh, movie. Um... 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Um, I am not up to date on my Stanley Kubrick. Um, I've never seen it, but I still know the reference. Yeah. But anyway, Lydia hits enter on the keyboard and Carrie's voice comes out because of course it does and pl- and says surgical sign off incomplete. And so I love that we're following the continuity from the other episode where Jerry's like, oh, she installed her own voice, <laughs> voice. software and it's her. <laughs> And then, speak of the devil and she shall appear, Carrie and Harper are walking and talking about uh, Harper's dress code to make patient, make patients feel more comfortable, uh, specifically referring to her earrings, which, whatever, she has long hair, you can barely see them. No, yeah. she's got she's got it bobbed now, it's... But still, but like, it's... Yeah, still, it's, it's not obscured, a and yeah. doesn't... And besides, shit like that shouldn't matter. But it's the 90s. <sighs> I'm just glad I can have visible tattoos at work, finally. Yeah, so, but Carrie suggests only one earring per year when Carver has, like, five or six per year or something like that. Yeah. And then to make Carrie uncomfortable, she comes back with, or what about the one in my navel? Or anywhere else? Like, as she's walking <laughs> by Carter. Ooh la la. Carter would know about, about those, probably. Mm. And Carrie's just like, please just follow the dress code. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, visibly uncomfortable. Yeah, and then um, we quit. We quit. Go by. Carrie walks by and sees Hicks, and she's like, "Hey, do you know where Benton is?" And Hicks is like, "I have no idea." Carter, do you know where Benton is? And he's like, "We've been over this. I don't know where Benton is." 
And we find out quickly where Benton is. Um, he is driving the world's biggest shitbox into <laughs> the uh, surgeon parking garage uh, or the surgeon level section, whatever you want to call it, of the parking garage. So he's trying to park this absolute beater. And just as he is about to pull into a parking space, he kind of like, I think he like spaces out for a minute. And when he does, a minivan swoops in and steals the spot. And, um, so the guy gets out, starts unpacking his stuff. He's got like a bunch of like suitcase looking things. And, uh, Benton gets out of his car and goes over and tries to, you know, let the guy know. He's like, Hey man, you know, you can't park here. This is the surgeon, uh, surgeon parking lot. You know, uh, you gotta have a surgeon sticker to park here. And the guy's like, well, you don't have one, you know, driving that shit box. And so that turns <laughs> into this whole, this whole thing. And Benton gets really upset with him and throws one of his cases that he's been unloading which we discover is filled with prosthetics uh so this guy is a i guess a prosthetic salesman um they start fighting over with prosthetic legs it's pretty pretty comical um until benton just hauls off and punches the guy in the face and right after benton punches him you can clearly hear uh eric lasalle say shit under his breath um i didn't get, which did not catch somehow that. made it past the sensors yeah some somehow managed to sneak that in but yeah, we will. This will be a recurring sort of thing throughout the episode. Is uh, the fallout of Benton punching this guy? It gives a new meaning to the term Benton punch. It's true. Uh-huh. Very true. There you go. And on a side note, in with some bangs. Still no, still no twinkles yet. Just keeping track of them. It's all right. Uh, We're keeping the faith. <laughs> Soon. Um, but for now, Susan is in the elevator with little Susie and all of her assorted baby crap um you know whatever it is i don't have kids i don't know what you have to carry at all times for kids i'm assuming it's diapers and food and shit i don't know what <laughs> i mean that's I, about it yeah diapers i appreciate and food and shit. you do i sound like i'd be a good fucking parent no <laughs> but randy's there to greet susan in a lovely leather vest with tattoos showing in lots of cleavage so clearly didn't get the memo on from carrie uh, on the dress code, so... This is a great through line for the episode, too. There's some good beats with it. It is, but... For, uh, and for the record, I love all of Randy's looks. Yeah. Just, I'm so here <laughs> for them. They're just delightfully grunge 90s. And she's such an MVP character-wise, as far as, like, how helpful she actually is. Oh, yeah, no, she's excellent at her job. But... So, just yeah, just throwing that out there. And then we come into a big traffic trauma, um... Everyone is working the ambulances in triage, you know, trying to get a good flow of patients because they're recovering from the surgical gridlock. And Doug sees another ambulance pull in and calls Lydia over to assist because he's like, okay, you know, let's keep this moving. And they round the corner and Shep is talking to Carol about their next date. Ooh la la. Lots of ooh la la to start this episode. Yes, and we got a really great accidental freeze frame of this moment. (laughs) And I wish, I wish um, I had documented Lydia's face. Because it, it brought me so much joy. But so Lydia's like, ooh, girl. And then Doug, Doug's just rolling his eyes like, oh, come on. <laughs> so Doug can't catch a break. So there's two really notable things uh, within this trauma here. Number one, we get a first in this this trauma. We get a first appearance of Pamela Olbez is the character's name. Um, she is the African-American um, paramedic played by Lynn Alicia Henderson. Um, she's definitely one of the paramedics, like the ones who like you see over and over and over again, like... Um, 
I'm blanking on her name, um, but the the white lady, younger white lady paramedic, um, and the black guy, Dwight uh, Zadro, I think was his last name. So the, 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 we have the kind of like recurring cast of paramedics that bring traumas in, and this was her first appearance, first of 149 appearances through season 15. So this is another lifer who is going to be with us through the rest of the series. So that was notable, number one. Number two, this one I was really proud of myself for catching because he's like barely it's it's a total blink and you miss it moment um but as they're running out for the first ambulance a little kid comes running out of the back of the ambulance and runs up to doug kind of yelling and we never really follow up on him we never see him again we never he's not a patient or anything i think he's he's being brought in with a patient um like his mom is hurt or something um so we never really follow up with this kid but um, he is played by an actor who we have definitely seen in other things. Um, does the name Justin Cooper ring a bell to either one of you? No. 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 Okay. So Justin Cooper was a total like, oh, hey, it's that kid, 90s child actor. He was in um, a lot of different things, some commercials. Um, he was in Home Alone 3, the first post-Macaulay Culkin uh, Home Alone movie. He also happens to be the uh, kid from Jim Carrey's kid in Liar Liar. Uh, oh. Yeah. So. That was creepy. <laughs> so <laughs> most importantly out of that though does anybody remember who jim carrey's ex-wife was in more Liar more tyranny soon to be abby lockhart so we've got all sorts of little like ins and outs connections in this one uh so yeah blink and you miss it appearance from uh alternate universe abby's son who will then join us a few seasons from from now can we watch Liar Liar as a, as a movie commentary? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Patreon.com slash saying the tone podcast. Awesome. Good catch, Daniel. Very good catch. From there, we go into the trauma room proper, and Carrie's already in there getting everything set up. Susan is like, oh shit, trauma, and leaves baby Susie with Randy, runs in to help out. And as she's putting her stuff on, Carrie's like, no, you've, like, glad you could join us, but go check the board. You've already been assigned patients. Like, you're not going to just get to jump in on a trauma. We have a way of doing things. Go check the board. And Susan's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> She's already not having a great day. So the battle between Susan and Carrie continues. Round two. Fight. But for now, uh, we go over and get our first audio of the episode for you. A uh, whole bunch going on here. So you got some Randy in here. You got bunch of carol susan doug the whole gang's here so let's give it a listen there that is a much better look for you dr weaver hasn't seen you yet today has she no why i just want to be there i thought you'd finished your ride along i did mm. <laughs> we were just going shopping shep has to cook for the station tomorrow shep his name is shep you're saying the man cooks too i hope it's had a dog named shep they all cook those dual-function gentlemen. Hard to resist. When I was a lad, an old ship was a pup. Oh. Over hill and meadow, they'd roam my ass. <laughs> a little more curl to the left, yeah. Please don't encourage him. I need a GI cocktail for Mr. Perry and uh, Curtain 3. Uh, can you give me another minute, and then I'll get her up to daycare. Sure, we're having a call. How did it go with the attorney? I have to wait three months before I can claim abandonment. Well, maybe Chloe will have second thoughts. She left her own baby. She's not entitled to second thoughts. I am really enjoying Clooney flexing his comedy muscles in the early parts of this season. 
I was going to say, that's one of the better Elvis impressions I've heard. Like, it's been so nice to have him do more than just Clooney Smirk and have that be enough, like, to actually be funny. But yeah, also, straight fire from Su- from Susan there. Like, deservedly so, but just, oof. Pulling no punches. Yeah. Go her. She needs to have more of that attitude. Like, no, fuck other people. I Everyone mean, keeps shitting on me. I mean, we are starting to see her have some more of that standing up for herself that she was talked about in season one. Yeah. So she is taking it to heart and growing. Yeah. Well, we will get into more, a little more of that uh, as the punches keep coming between her and uh, Weaver later on. Also, yeah, just the, the snide, just the, not really snide, but just the little comment about uh, Harper to Randy <laughs> about her outfit. I want to be there when it happens. Oh, yeah. I, I, I enjoyed that, too. And surprisingly, Carrie never talks to Randy about her outfit this episode. Yeah, no, we keep, you keep expecting it to happen, and then just, nope, nothing. Fuck you, you get nothing. <laughs> so uh, then we from there we check in with uh, the aforementioned Mr. Perry, who's getting the GI cocktail, um, so he's uh, Susan's patient. He's in with gastrointestinal distress. Um, he's kind of like a big, burly, like almost like biker dude guy. Um, his wife is there. And she thinks it's a heart attack, um, says that it's probably a result of his poor diet. Based on what he was, what he says, it sounds like he eats like full meals during watching different shows. Like he talks about watching uh, Letterman and Leno and stuff like that, like eating full on like burritos and like fried chicken and stuff like that, which, you know, at me on Twitter, why don't you? Um, <laughs> what the, honestly, the, the funniest part with this character is... Um, how his wife's attitude changes from scene to scene. Like in this first scene, she's very like worry wart and very like, you have terrible diet, blah, 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 whatever. And then like later in the episode, we check back in with her and she's like full on feeding him fried chicken. Uh, so seeing how that dynamic sort of shifts over the course of the episode is kind of a interesting one to watch. And this is so not, I don't think what the writers had intended, but it's kind of interesting to see how like someone will continue to enable you until they think it's done you harm. Right. And then they'll go right back to it. Because clearly comfort is her love language and what comforts him is food. Mm -hmm. So she's like, yeah, of course you can have some fried chicken. Here, let me get it for you. So yeah, we'll see how this plays out. From there, we go and we see Carter and Harper doing a little walk and talk. And we come in with with Harper saying, I told you you'd like the mosh pit. And Carter's like, yeah, it was great. Could we maybe do something with less people and calmer this time? And so they, they set a dinner date, and then as they're talking, um, I don't remember who it is that comes up, but I think it's Hicks, maybe, comes up and says, you know, we're not going to do that MRI that you requested on a hand. It's not going to happen. And he's, like, hiding a film behind his back as he's talking to everybody. And he's like, okay, yep, fine, that's understandable, great, okay. And then he dodges into another uh, into another room where Benton is waiting, and Benton's like, let me see the film, how does it look? Um, and Carter is treating his busted hand from him getting in that fight earlier. And right as Carter numbs his hand, I think it's Dr. Hicks walks in. No, it's, um, it's one of the nurses. It's, I think, Lily. Okay. So as Carter is numbing his hand, Lily walks in and is like, oh, hi, Benton. Uh, Peter, we, you know, we need you in surgery right away. And they're like, oh, great. Okay. So... (laughs) They both go into the trauma and they're like, oh, have you, you know, can you do one of these? And Benton's like, Carter can do it. Let's let him walk through it. This is a good teaching moment because he has, he does not have full use of his hand. Mm. Oops. So this yeah. is, this is a good gag for a little bit. You done fucked up, Benton. Then after that, 
on a little more down note, uh, Susan is finally dropping off little Susie at daycare, and we find out her bill is three weeks late, and the uh, the daycare administrator person, whatever you, uh, provider, yeah, the the daycare provider is sort of like not not really like admonishing Susan for keeping little Susie in daycare, but encouraging her to find other options, just because it's probably not really good for a little a little baby like that to be in a hospital daycare for 12 12 13 14 hours at a time i should have gotten my mom's input on this dang it now i'm sad i didn't poor little Susie. yeah can't help just but feel bad for the little little Little, scamp little baby (laughs) but then so we also find out that uh susan has an interview coming for an actual like proper babysitter um, and that's right to keep an eye out for. So we'll come back to that a little later. Let me quick check in with Doug and Mark. And Mark's like, you know, are you sure it's okay if I stay with you again? Like, is it going to be all right? And Doug's like, yep, hold us off to Helsinki. So it's just going to be the two of us. We'll do beer. We'll do sports. It'll be great. It'll be a man's night. D- Mark's like, all right, cool. Dub beers and dub bears. Dub beers and dub bears. And then we also get another quick uh, appearance of uh, Lucy Liu and Che Che. Uh, they are back uh, again, uh, bringing in the direct to Dr. Ross card that he gave her in uh, towards the end of the last episode, uh, signaling once again that this is definitely very early in Lucy Liu's career because not only can we get her on an episode, we can get her on multiple episodes. Whoa. Then after that, we have a little uh, walk and talk with Mark and Susan, so let's listen to their conversation. How are things going? Uh, keeping busy. I haven't seen Chloe lately. None of us have. How's she doing in school? Well, we got a few minutes. Mark, sorry to interrupt. There's a patient threatening to sue. Wants to see who's ever in charge. So can I handle it? Would you? Bless you. Uh, what, what were we saying? No, I was just saying how busy we've all been. Excuse me, I got a week in Dizzy to check on. Carrie with the little power grab there. I think she was genuinely trying to be helpful because it's what she's good at. No, I, I just feel I feel like she's being a little bit more like, oh, hey, can I subvert, can I subvert your authority? Like, I, can I be that one well, in charge? I'm if in she between was... on that. I mean, it's it, I see where you're coming from, but I also see it as just like Mark doesn't want to do it anyway. Like his his immediate reaction is like, oh, my God, would you? That would be amazing. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. If she if she was really subverting his authority, she would have just gone ahead and done it. Yeah. There, there are two people. There are two people that are perfectly suited for the other's job. Like Mark is, <laughs> Mark is the ideal chief resident. Like, and she is the ideal attending. Like, she's the ideal decision maker, authority person, bad guy, whatever. And he's the ideal superstar. Like, let me just go play and be a genius and not have to like be mean to anybody ever. And. So, you know, they're just they're just two people who are like diametrically opposed and and not in a bad way, like not in a malicious way where they're they're trying to one up each other. But in just a like, I want to do the thing you're not good at and you want to do the thing I'm not good at. It works great. That's exactly why Morgan Stern suggested her. Yeah. Carter and Benton then go quick hide in that trauma room again and or not trauma room, treatment room. And Carter quick relocates Benton's finger and Benton is absolutely thankless about it. He's just like, all right, cool. Gonna go Thanks. to work now. And then Shep does the gayest shit ever and <laughs> calls calls for a noon check on, on over the the emergency radio. 
just saying, oh, it's just a, it's just a test just to make sure things going on. And Carol is like, what the fuck, dude? Like, we just heard from you like an hour ago. He's like, we just got our new, we just got a new radio installed in the rig after PCP guy or after the, no, that's that's later. That's later. My bad. Rewind. Ignore. Fellas, is it gay to check and see if your radio's working? (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of that going around. Oh, Twitter. And then we find out that the gentleman who is threatening to sue and is talking with Carrie is the prosthetics guy. We find this out because Benton and Hicks are talking about his finger and she's making sure that he's like good to go and saying, hey, you're going to observe for the rest of the day until Ortho clears you because we don't want you to, you know, not be at your best. If you get if you have to take leave, it's going to fuck up my whole schedule. Like, take an observation day, make sure everything's okay. And as they're talking, they round this corner and see Carrie talking to the dude Benton beat up. And Benton immediately is like, hey, can I, can we, have you had lunch yet? Can I go buy you, can I buy you a bowl of soup? Let's sit and talk. Let's, let's, you know, um, talk shop. And she's like, well, you know, I haven't had lunch yet. That would be nice. And he completely manages to avoid any disciplinary action from this right now it might bite him in the ass later i don't know what happens in future episodes but here he dodges a huge bullet and gets her out of the way yeah i I think we we failed to mention earlier too that that his cover story for this whole thing is that he um slammed his hand in his car door that's the like because he obviously didn't tell hicks or much less carter that um he beat the shit out of someone that he punched the guy punched the guy's lights out and that's how he hurt his hand so this like this is him covering his ass in a variety of ways but as far as i can at least for this episode that's the last we see of prosthetics guy like he's not some that that part of it doesn't carry through for the rest of the episode but you're i'm I'm in the same boat as you lauren i don't remember if that kind of comes up in future episodes but he's at least dodged that bullet for now so then from there, we jump over and see Susan's next patient. She's got Harper with her, and they are talking to a woman and her 14-year-old daughter, uh, who um, we just discovered is pregnant. The daughter is. The daughter is pregnant. So 14 years old and pregnant. Uh, Ten years later, she would have had her own MTV show. And uh, the mother is just very, like, they haven't told the daughter yet. Like, they're by law, they can't you know tell the mother without the daughter's consent so they have to separate them so she gets um gets the mother out to the waiting room um and the mother's just like very indignant she's like my daughter and i don't have any secrets well you do now uh pretty big one it's the daughter is kind of familiar um and i the the connection i found for her is kind of tenuous because i i remember watching this show at the time but not enough that I feel like I would have internalized this girl's face, but um, she's played by an actress named Shay Astar, and her biggest credit was that she played uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's girlfriend, August, on the uh, 90s sitcom Third Rock from the Sun. Neat. Hmm. I've been considering revisiting that. Does it hold up? Me too. Hmm. We'll find out. From there, we have another little Susan and Carrie row. Um, Susan is talking about her assignments on the board and like the rotation that she's been getting, She's like, I'm only really getting boring cases. It's a lot of, you know, lightheadedness. It's a lot of gastrointestinal distress. It's a lot of, you know, it's the easy ones. What's, like, I feel I can do better than this. And Carrie's just like, you know, I may have been going light on you, but it seems like you're dealing with a lot of personal stuff and you've been distracted. And, you know, I I figured it was for the best because you have a lot of personal obligations. And she says this, and it kind of comes out really snide and passive-aggressive. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where if it was delivered by anybody but Carrie, you'd go, wow, that was really thoughtful. But because it's Carrie, and it's early Carrie before she's learned how to people, we're just like, oh, that's really 
bitchy. Yeah. Early but Carrie God, I love Weaver. Very rude. <laughs> yeah, early Carrie is super rude. And it's just like, I just have to keep reminding myself where we end up with her, that she still says this very dominating personality, but she learns how to temper it. Mm-hmm. Round off the edges. Yeah, because right now she's like Romano levels of, Gah. Oh, God, I forgot about Romano. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. We got so much to talk about. So uh, from there, we have a four-year-old with chicken pox coming in, um, which Carrie immediately directs them to the isolation room where, unbeknownst to anyone but Doug, Lucy Lou and Che Che, already are, uh, they're already in there. Uh, so Doug overhears her instructions and yells and goes running after them and stops them because with uh, Che Che's AIDS um, means that he's immunocompromised and that um, having him exposed to chicken pox would be super, super dangerous, which... Ugh. Yeah, Carrie proceeds to loudly agree with him um, while yelling at him that, you know, it would be nice for the rest of us to know that, but you didn't put this patient on the board and that they have no way of knowing whether or not he was in there. And that gets to the point where they're having like a full on shouting match in the hallway. uh, And then Green intervenes, telling Doug that he, you know, doing the very diplomatic manager thing where he's like, you need to log your patients moving forward and kind of pulls Carrie aside. And it's just like... This is this is a recurring theme for her, especially in this episode of of litigating very kind of private conversations out in public in front of other staff members and patients, and it's just not a good look for her or anybody else. So, uh, Mark's kind of trying to do his best here to play peacemaker and get everybody on the same page. Mark does that has to play the peacekeeper a lot in this episode. It's yeah, really weird. Oh, yeah. It pays Wait. off at the end, though. It does, yeah, in a big way. But after that, we have Harper doing a pelvic exam on Amy, the 14-year-old, and she's pissed because uh, her partner, boyfriend, do we get confirmation from I think boyfriend? it's I think it's a boyfriend. Okay. Her boyfriend told, uh, told her, or she told her boyfriend that they must have used like some other like spermicide or something. Yeah, something like that. She said that stuff wouldn't work without a condom, but she's not specific. And she has to get tested for STDs, and she's just not happy about anything that's happening right now. Yeah, and it's it. They pointed out to her. They're like, "Well, have you had any other partners?" She's like, "No," and they're like, "Do you know he hasn't?" And she's like, oh, "Fine." Mm. Very very teenage. Like, okay, I guess I'll get tested. <laughs> So we will we will come back to that and see how that story wraps up in a bit. We Spoiler, then have not well. <laughs> not well. Um, we then have Mark has pulled Carrie aside to look over the elderly woman who was dropped off at the park. And did we touch base about this woman yet? Not really. It's a very like blink and you miss it sort of. Okay, so I'll quick fill us in because I I must have missed putting this down. My bad, fam. Um, earlier in the episode. One of the patients that gets dropped off via ambulance is a 94-year-old woman with, I believe they say, dementia and MS, or Parkinson's, and um, she's nonverbal. She was left on the bench with a note just saying, like, here's what I have, here's what's wrong with me, here's what my name is. And she's like, she looks really well taken care of, but she was just abandoned. And so now Mark brings Carrie in to check on this woman and to be like, you know, what do we do with her? What can we do? We don't have any contact information. Like, how do how do you think we should handle this, Carrie? And they're both going to try really hard to get her admitted into the hospital so she can be further cared for. Yep. So we will definitely see quite a bit more of her over the course of the episode, including over these next couple of quick hitters here, just kind of going around. Um, we have a quick scene of Carter and Hicks having lunch, which is so 
so very good <laughs> because Carter finally, through invitation of Hicks, uh, gets to sit at the big kids table and his reaction and not only his reaction, but Benton's sort of exasperation at Carter getting to sit at the big kids table is so good. Like Benton's like visual annoyance at the fact that he has to be seen eating with Carter is just like mm, chef kiss. But Benton's upset that he's not going to get to scrub in on the gastroplasty that they're doing because of his hand. And Hicks just says that she wants him to observe and Carter to actually participate in the surgery. So things like as one side goes up, the other side goes down. Like Carter is just through the over the moon so happy and Benton could not be more pissed. There must be balance in the force. Right. Perfectly balanced. Then from there, we jump over quickly. We see uh, Green on the phone about the elderly woman that Lauren discussed um, trying to trying to find a bed to get her admitted. You know, he's like, you've discharged two people in the last six hours. You know, you've got however many beds. He's like, that means you should have a couple open beds. Like he's like doing the math for them, but they don't want to, they, they keep insisting that they can't take her. So we will see the resolution of that a little bit later on as well. Um, and then this was a super brief beat, super brief and super weird. Um, and I, this is another like, oh, hey, it's that guy that I was really, really proud of because he's not even credited in the episode, but I know it's him. So a man in a chicken suit <laughs> comes in to drop off uh, lunch food for Mr. Perry, uh, Susan's gastro uh, patient from earlier. And he's in like full head to toe, like San Diego chicken suit. Like it's not just like a chicken hat or a chicken shirt. My man is in head to toe chicken suit. And it's like, it's like Al's toy barn. Yeah, very much, very much so. And he is played by the most like tangentially significant oh hey it's that guy i think we've ever had like this guy is could not be less notable in the grand scheme of things but i found it funny that i still managed to remember him um he's played by an actor named joseph reitman who has like bit parts in a bunch of different things but nothing you've ever really you would never go out of your way to see but his big claim to fame was that he was married briefly like two or three years to shannon elizabeth from the american pie movies like that was cool. his that was his like honestly the most important notable thing he ever accomplished in his life was being married to her for a few years uh and that's about nice it. oh boy here we go i'm gonna try and make this one quick and painless so then we have amy's mom has come back from the lobby and is talking to susan and is like i need to see my daughter you can't keep me from her she's pregnant isn't she oh my gosh you don't you're not a mother you don't know the challenge I'll either have to foot the bill to care for this baby or who's, you know, who's going to face the priest if Amy, if Amy doesn't keep it. And just Susan's just standing there flabbergasted, like, well, no, I'm not a mom, but, and this mom doesn't let her finish. And, um, the mom tries to walk past and Carrie walks up and says, call security. And the mom barges into the room and Susan says, don't bother. Amy's ready to talk. And Carrie mentions... You know, Susan, sometimes it's the boring cases that end up the real challenges. That was a good approximation and, of like the Weaver cadence too. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's she she does this weird thing on this part where she just shows her teeth a lot. I don't know if she's trying to smile while she's saying it or what, or she's baring her teeth in like a threatening gesture. <laughs> I don't know. But do you know what I'm talking about, yeah, Daniel? Yeah. Yeah. No, she and definitely so, does that here. And then after that, Doug walks by and after Carrie walks away and he goes, is violence being considered? And Susan goes, it's not just me. Like, just really relieved that, like, she's not alone in this vile hatred of Carrie right now. 
And then Doug goes, there is no politically correct way to describe that woman, which I believe leads us into our next audio clip. If if only he had just left it there. Yeah, so we got some cringe coming in here. Back to shitbag, Doug. Yeah, so we're sorry. You're considering violence. Count me in. Oh, it's not just (laughs) me. There's no politically correct way to describe that woman. I'll see if I can find her. Anybody seen Dr. Weaver? Follow the trail of partially digested residents. Dr. Lewis, childcare called? Should they hold Susie's noon bottle? It's almost one. She must be starving. No, tell them to feed her. I'll, I'll be up as soon as I can. Go on, I'll take a break. You're allowed to have a life. I'm waiting on some laughs. Weaver has you playing her game. You think if you ace all the details, is she going to stop nitpicking? Probably not. You know, Susan... You didn't put your X's in the middle of the box. I know it's trivial, but could you say centimeter instead of centimeter? Couldn't <laughs> you second guess yourself sometimes instead of me always having to do it? <laughs> Two things to note there Doug is holding, was it like a cane it's or a something? Golf club. Club golf club and imitating Carrie's crutch. <laughs> Fucking yikes. And then at the end there, Carrie walks in and sees everything and hangs up the phone and just walks out. The sheer nonverbal acting between Doug, Susan, and Carrie here, like Car- the look of mortification and hurt on Carrie's face when she sees this just broke my heart. And yeah, Doug could have done it without the without the cane mm-hmm. and it would have been a little less shitty because then he was just making fun of how much of a bitch she is but the minute he has the cane it's like okay are you mocking her for being disabled too like what yeah like are you sure that people aren't going to get that it's carrie so you have to add a prop yeah the golf club is a bridge too far he's he's doing okay until he gets to the golf club and then it's like oh no like watching it i was like no we're not doing that no just no slow motion car crash no oh yeah it's bad. Not, not his finest hour. Damn it! I thought we were good. I thought we had good Doug for a while. He's at least not hitting on Carol anymore. That's true. Yeah, different. This is a different flavor of trash. Like, okay. Is... <laughs> trash one point five. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, now with one hundred percent more ableism. Um, <laughs> so uh, more quick hitters here. Mark still having no success with getting a bed upstairs for the uh, 94 year old woman. Um, we cut back over to the admit desk and Carol is back on the radio um, for a call. There's someone they're, they're at this. This is Shep and Raul's rig and they are, they're at the scene of a gunshot, um, a, a shooting. Um, and then there's live gunfire actually happening at the scene while they're there. Um, and then Shep decides to play the hero and goes back out after somebody and the line goes dead and it's all very uh, dramatic soap opera like it's and carol is left there you know clutching her pearls Shut up, no. yeah and i'm just sort of like i just let him go like <laughs> if he dies he dies like i just I, i've already sort of soured on shep like i really don't care about him and the sooner he's gone the better fair enough i think he's all right but moving on we have hicks and carter doing the gastroplasty that was mentioned earlier in the episode instead of Benton and Hicks. Benton is still there, but like he's doing the Carter role of like he's not fully, <laughs> he's not sterile, he's not sterile, and 
He's just sort of standing off to the side. He's he's just sort of there. Just, he's sort Hicks, of there. Hicks is asking him to change the music. Yeah, like that's all he's kind of good for. But Carter, Carter baby, he's so proud of himself. He gets to staple the he gets to staple the stomach, and that's what a gastroplasty is. I looked it up while we were watching the while we were watching the episode. Basically, it's getting your stomach stapled for either for weight loss or for I'm sure various other reasons that this would need to be performed. But he's so proud of himself that he does the staple well. And we just made it. We just made a little note, you know, because we are recording this in the middle in the middle of Illinois shelter in place order. It's so fucking weird to see surgical masks being used for what they're actually meant for. Mm. Yeah, I was watching it and I was like, "Wait, those aren't scares." <laughs> They actually have PPE in this hospital. What? I love how um, expressive Carter's face is that even though he's wearing a surgical mask, you can still tell that he's grinning ear to ear like an idiot when she tells him he gets to staple. Like his like he gets the like baby Carter like uh, like excited grin and you can you can see it through the mask like even even without being able to see the, the whole of his face. You can still tell that he's just like beaming. So then from there, we've got um, some more quick hitters here. Um, Doug, for the second time in 10 minutes, kind of puts his foot in his mouth, talks to Susan about he over he heard rumors that um, she was looking into adoption for Susie. And he misinterprets it, thinking that she's looking to put little Susie up for adoption rather than looking to adopt her herself so he's like there's this doctor and his wife up on the whatever floor and they've been trying for x number of years to adopt a kid you should talk to him and she's like no dude i want to adopt her you prick like just do you think i'm not capable of that and he's just like oh no, uh, uh gotta go like he just kind of like slinks away and so as they part ways she goes into mr perry's room and he is just like gorging himself on crap fried chicken and other stuff that um his wife like i said in the like change in her demeanor she's totally like enabling this like just practically hand feeding him susan tells him that he's got to stop gorging himself or he's going to be dead by 40 um might be sooner than that also also he looks like he could be 40 as he is now like (laughs) the actor who's playing him does not look to be younger than 40 but i digress yikes um, and then doesn't he, doesn't he say like, oh, well, could I have a little bit of that, um, a yeah, little bit of me- a, that extra s- stomach juice just to yeah. make it feel better in the meantime? The GI cocktail, which yeah. is absolutely fucking disgusting stuff. So from there, we get Carol on the phone trying desperately to find out what happened to Shep's rig. She's like, no, you know, I'm trying to figure out what happened to 47. They were alive, and then it went dead. You know, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, there they are, and Shep is okay, and they're rolling through the ER bay doors with a gurney, and we find out their radio got shot out, and Shep, I'm just noticing, Shep looks good with the scruff. He looks a little bit less like a Boy Scout, and he looks pretty nice. It's like, all right, I can can deal with this. Um, And then we have another great example of Carol and Doug working a trauma together, which they always have really great chemistry when they're thrown in traumas together. And I wish it's something we got to see more. And then um, Carol's just pissed and she kicks Shep and Raul out of the room. She's like, guys, 47, can we get out? There's, it's too crowded in here. Like we got too many bodies, clear it. So that's great. She takes charge. She's pissed at Shep for being so careless. And then we see Mark. And Harper, he's like, hey, can you help me for a second? 
and they're gonna go take the 94 year old to move her upstairs because nobody's fucking coming to get her from admit (laughs) so they take this into their own hands uh so yeah so before we get the resolution to mark taking the 94 year old upstairs we go back to the admit desk and the finger quotes uncle of the gunshot wound victim who is that Shep and Raul brought in. He goes running, screaming into the trauma room just as they are cutting her clothes off and they discover that she's got a kilo of cocaine taped to her legs. Um, the uncle, again, finger quotes, uncle, because um, it's pretty clear that he's just like her dealer or like, I don't like I don't think he's... that there's actually any familial relation here. Um, but he's played by uh, another like, oh, hey, it's that guy. Uh, Carlos Carrasco is the actor's name. Um, and I recognized him most prominently from uh, Speed. He's one of the um, passengers on the bus in Speed. Ortiz is his character's name. He's kind of the big, burly construction worker guy. So he grabs the cocaine off of the um, gurney or the table, runs out of the room, going as far as he can. Shep decides to go full white knight hero mode and runs after him tackles him in a storm of cocaine and broken bags like there is powder just everywhere and i think it's raul who's like once they tackle the guy and get him like secure he's like don't don't breathe this shit in it'll fuck you up basically (laughs) and shep is already kind of doing the like numb tongue thing and is like and then he sneezes um, and Carol is just kind of standing off to the side while he's like covered in this white powder. And it's just like, basically like with her arms folded, tapping her fingers, like just having none of it. Like she is over his hero bullshit today. Then we get uh, a little resolution to world. We get, we get the resolution rather to, uh, the 94 year old woman. Uh, she's being, uh, dropped off upstairs by Mark and Harper. They just, they just sort of pick a room. They just pick an empty room <laughs> and they're like, Oh, this one has a window. This one looks nice. It's got a breeze coming through. All right, sweet. Um, and then one of the nurses that's upstairs comes in and tries to give her a, give Mark and Harper shit, but Mark is having none of it, just absolutely none of it, and kind of chews her out for being, in his opinion, lazy and slow and just being like, what the fuck? Like, why can't you people admit one easy patient? <laughs> kind of a different take on the um the crash cart heist from season one like when they snuck up to cardiology and stole back the uh the crash carts like it's sort of a similar type of feel to that where they're kind of like tiptoeing through the the department but now instead of crash carts they've got a gurney with a patient on it like it was just very like it was again fun to see kind of the little the sneakier prank side of of things like i know this wasn't a prank but like that's the kind of thing that like they're doing something they know they're not supposed to do it's shenanigans right exactly and he's he's roped in a poor medical student into it with him oh she's not a poor medical student she's a (laughs) she's a willing and happy participant in this she's a badass and the nurse that green gets into it with um was another total oh hey it's that person for me like especially her face maybe not her name so much but definitely her face she's definitely somebody that i've seen in a billion things and so her name is patricia belcher And she has over 149 credits to her name on IMDb, um, including Bones, uh, 500 Days of Summer, uh, and Community, um, amongst a ton of other things. Like, I can guarantee you if you go to her IMDb page, you will find something you have seen her in. She plays um, judges a lot, she plays nurses a lot, and she plays um, cops a lot. So I I guarantee that you've seen her in at least one thing. So casting directors just think she has a very authoritative face. Yeah. 
which is good casting because she does like she definitely pulls off the like annoyed authority figure very well we then go over to susan is finally interviewing her potential babysitter and this babysitter has brought her own little girl along for the interview and it's just a train wreck from the moment susan sits down it's a train wreck like susan's like oh well you know i work i work um nights until thursday and then i'm back to the day shift and the mom or this babysitter's like wait your schedule changes <laughs> and susan's kind of like well fucking yeah i'm a doctor she doesn't say it like that but she's like yep you know i'll have notice in advance we'll be able to like work it out i'll be able to communicate it with you and the babysitter's like oh you know i don't remember the little girl's name but she's like oh you know my daughter she's so young and it's such a developmentally important age to stay on normal schedules and i don't know if i can accommodate little susie like, if she's going to constantly be changing how she fits in our schedules. Like, it's one thing if it's just an eight-hour day and it's going to be the exact same work hours every day. But for this woman, she's like, oh, you know, inconveniencing my daughter at all while she's this developmentally frail. Because, you know, babies, they just need so much routine or else, you know, they lose the stability that makes them into good adults. Mm. And, um, and was then... was clearly my problem being raised is I didn't have a stable schedule. Yeah, latchkey kids. Whoop! Um, but then Susan has a saltine and she goes to offer it to the baby and the mom's like, oh, no, no, she's she's still breastfeeding. Those those have so much salt in them. And Susan's like, oh, huh, right. Awkward. Aww. So that doesn't work out. That's not gonna be little Susie's babysitter. Um, from there, we get to Carrie running down the hall because Mr. Perry has crashed it turns out he drank the whole damn bottle of the um the cocktail the gastric re- the yeah the stomach cocktail it's Maalox it's mixed m- with some other stuff yeah Maalox mixed with some other things to help soothe the stomach and Carrie is screaming like whose patient is this what's going on and Susan's still in the snack bar they have to pump his stomach and this leads us into one of the biggest blowouts for Carrie and Susan so far if Lizzie would be so kind to play the clip let's go for it what happened? Mr. Perry here just got treated to a gastric lavage. After ingesting 500 cc's of Maalox, lidocaine, and Donatol. He drank the whole bottle? She gave it to us. I gave him an ounce, but you left the bottle in here. Poor physician instructions are not your responsibility. You don't know anything about my instructions. Because there was nothing written on the chart and you were nowhere to be found. Your patients had respiratory arrest and you've disappeared. I told Randy It's where- not the clerk's job to keep track of the staff. Carrie, Susan, outside. made no difference to that patient's condition if I'd written a book on his chart. Obviously, I did not order him to guzzle a quart of GI cocktail. So this time it didn't matter that you were careless. Should we wait till someone dies and then you'll be responsible? All right, that's enough. Let me finish with this patient and I'll see you both in the lounge. Ooh, Daddy Green mad. Please don't call him Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> uh... <laughs> nope. Um... Although, Papa Green. Uh, How about that? Let's go with Papa Green. Although apparently there are a lot of ER fans who find Mark absolutely dreamy. What? I've there's, seen it on the Facebook groups. I some, see you fans. I, am, I will be your everybody. voice. You yeah. know, during this time of quarantine and st- shelter in place orders, we're all a little thirsty, but I'll never be that <laughs> thirsty. You know, I understand if if you were growing up during this peak primetime age and you were of age when this was on i guess it was the boxers in the rocking chair that's what did it for him yeah. cool. 
with the hair with the hairy chest. I was yeah. I was trying to make our fans feel seen, and look what you've done. <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna yuck your yum, listeners. Um, I will. Here's here's something I will yuck is this next scene. So. Carter is working on some stitches and Harper walks in and is like, oh my gosh, those are so smooth. Those are so well done. Good job. And like the patient's face is covered because the stitches are on his neck, I think. And um, Carter's like, oh yeah, you know, it just takes practice. I'm, you know, unfortunately I'm not going to be able to make our date tonight. I've got, you know, I have to stay late for something. There's something that's come up with the hospital. And Harper leans over and they start smooching over the patient. And then the patient's like, is everything okay up there, doc? <laughs> and and Harper pulls away and giggles and is like, we'll do it soon and walks away. So very, very tonal shift. And then we're going to have a complete 180 back to um, Mark scolding the ladies. So let's listen to that. Please sit down. What just happened in front of that patient can't ever happen again. You two have to start working together. I depend on both of you too much. I'm to blame for this situation. I haven't backed you up, Carrie, in some of the more unpleasant aspects of your job, and I may have left the impression that I don't support the work that you're doing. So let me go on record. I am behind Carrie 100%. If you disagree with anything she's doing, assume that she's acting with my approval. But if this department impedes any resident from doing their best, then as chief, you have to respond. Any questions? That's it. Carrie, hold on. Susan is one of the most gifted doctors I know. If she's having trouble working with you, it's a problem I expect you to solve. Fine. I'll accept your criticism anytime, but not in front of a resident. Okay, won't happen again. It undermines my authority and is completely inappropriate. I imagine that's how Susan felt when she was being critiqued in front of a patient. Um, I'd like to apologize for what happened earlier today. I was um, inexcusable, and I am sorry. Uh, apology accepted. What happened earlier tonight? Uh, <laughs> misunderstanding. Are you having fun being where the buck stops? Bring on the TV and beer. <laughs> no, actually, I... <laughs> Hope you don't mind a threesome. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> See you later. Let's go. Oh, my God. This woman will not die. She just keeps <laughs> coming she, back. She has some amazing hair in that shot, though. Like, it is voluminous. It goes on for days. Okay, and to be fair, she plays the scene later on perfectly yes yes she does do that it's it's a cute and fun appearance in this episode she's not ruining anything for anybody here exactly but every time i'm just like i think we're done and then i'm just like jesus christ she will not get bobbed (sighs) but that's not the point of the what we just played no for y'all first off go mark for standing up for susan after she leaves the room and i love when he's like how do you think that made her feel like, or, you know, like, maybe that's exactly how she felt when you did it in front of the patient. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he plays that pretty much perfectly from a, a managerial standpoint. It's just, uh... And when Carrie walks out of the room and turns the corner and sees Doug and Susan waiting for her, she looks like this is the last place she wants to be. Mm-hmm. And just, yep, it's fine. Can you blame her? Bye. <laughs> yeah, awkwardness abounds. Want... 
no, Carrie's having a rough day today. I mean, they all are, but like, I don't know. I was I was a little annoyed at her attempt to like flip that around on Mark where she was like, well, but that's also rude of you to like call me out in front of Susan, blah, 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 whatever. Like, I was just, this, it reminds me of why I was such a like Carrie hater in the beginning of her. I was just like, the early stages of this character are very tiresome and very like oh god but like we do we get there we get there but like this there's some some bumps in the road in this early incarnation but yeah green asserting his authority nice to see so then from there we uh jump over with uh benton and uh hicks is telling him that his hand is good to go he's got no tendon damage um so no surgery is required um but he is going to have to splint the finger for 10 days and she suggests that he get physical therapy on it and she says in passing you know genie boulet right (laughs) oh does he know genie boulet well that was the inside of her vagina oh god (laughs) comfortable You could have just left it at biblically, like yeah. I was going to, without having to say that. I feel that. like I feel like I'm absolved of Daddy Green for that. Like I, feel yeah, like, no, I feel like I'm I'm okay now. I'll cut that. I'll no, cut no, that. Lizzie gets worst take for the episode yep. with that I'll one. Cut that. I'll cut that. That might be going um, a little too far. Live with your shame. So yeah, we're all Never. just we're just all having regrettable days, both on this podcast and on the show. <laughs> NC seventeen. You said vagina. Oh shit. Good thing I marked these podcasts as explicit. License to do anything. Yikes. Um, Titty sprinkles. <laughs> that makes it real hard to go into what I'm about to. Um, so then we find out that the next trauma is a factory worker fell onto a crusher and his arm is trapped in it. They're wheeling him in on the gurney with this machine in this, on the side because his arm is stuck in it. And we're going to come back and find out what happens there. There's some very interesting teamwork on that trauma in a bit. And let's talk about the thing that ruined my night and made me cry for like five minutes. We go upstairs and um, Mark and Harper walk, go into the room and the 94-year-old husband has shown up. And I cried profusely. <sighs> because this is a huge tonal shift from, the, from what had just happened and... Um, Yeah, the husband is standing over her, you know, holding her hand and just saying, like, you know, I always thought I'd be able to take care of you. I used to be able to carry you to bed. I used to be able to do all these things. You used to be light as a feather. But I just can't anymore. Like, just he's realizing his limitations as as a caregiver in his old age and just, you know... I can't afford one of the nice places that you deserve to be in. I thought you'd be better taken care of here. Mm. And then he looks over at Mark and Harper when he sees they've come in and he just says, I missed her too much. Oof. It's so well done. It really is. Cry now again? Yeah, welcome <laughs> to my hell. I'm holding it together this time. But And I think in a in a different episode, I think this this could have easily been the A plot. Yeah. Like it it's done so well. Yeah, and it's not hammed up, it's not too much filler. It's it's got just enough follow through in the episode to be a great one. But I'm sorry I made Lizzie cry. Um I'm good. You're good. Maybe. It's just it's it's tragedy and it's one of the it's always the old men with their dying wives that gets me. Yeah. Every freaking time. We had the old man singing to his wife in the first episode. Uh, I think I want to say it's this season too that we get Ruby. Like it's either this season or next. Um, so that'll be the ultimate, like... Oh, wow. I, why did I think that was later? Well, because he comes back. Okay. He comes back way, way down the line, like, almost before Carter's about to leave. But his first appearance with his wife, which 
precipitates his second appearance. Um, that uh, will be coming up sometime either this season or next. Uh, but for this episode, I don't look forward to it. This episode, uh, we're gonna jump back into the trauma room with the arm. Carrie is like fighting with the machine, trying to get it off his arm. Randy comes in with like the same kind of tools I would use to like fix the sink. Like it's like the two random tools that she found under the admit desk. (laughs) Like she comes in with like a screwdriver and a hammer. And so they're like trying to like pry this machine off of this guy's arm. Um, Meanwhile, Susan is like trying to puzzle out what's wrong with him and ultimately comes to decide that it's cyanide poisoning because of the factory that they work in. He was exposed to cyanide levels, something or other. It's, it's very frantic and very like, if you blink, you miss it. Um, they're both kind of Carrie and Susan are both late for different things. Carrie's got dinner plans and uh, Susan's got to go pick up little Susie from daycare. And Susan immediately, Carrie kind of immediately brushes her thing off and it's just like, well, sucks to be me. I got work to do. And Susan is like about to dip out to go try to pick up little Susie. But then she sees that Carrie's not leaving. And so she like digs her heels in and is like, no, I'm going to stay. It's fine. And so they both uh, stay and work through the rest of the trauma and then end up um, succeeding. They get the get the machine off the guy's arm and save him and everything. And then in the fallout of all that, as they're coming out of the trauma room, we discover that Mark in this whole episode, the whole time he has been completely in the dark about the fact that Chloe has uh, run off. Like he had no no idea. Him and Susan have not talked. They've not he's not really been tapped into things like he used to be um so he kind of feels bad about his standing in their friendship right now so womp womp um but (laughs) shut up sorry but uh last audio for your last audio clip of the episode we have shep doing third gayest thing yeah the third gayest (laughs) thing that's happened all episode we have uh, raul calling in testing the radio and carol answers and we'll just listen to it. County General, this is 47. It's the other one, it's the other one. What is his name? County General, I read you 47. Raul. Is he dating um, anyone? Uh, calling in uh, for a radio check uh, on our new set. I hear you loud and clear. If there's nothing else, I'll sign off. Just thought that you ought to answer your phone. 47 out. I was wondering if we should get that. Hello? Nurse Hathaway. Look, I'm, uh, I'm sorry if I uh, got in your way on that last call. You didn't get in my way. I thought I made you angry. You didn't. Let me just ask you. If you weren't mad, were you, uh... Maybe worried? Worried about what? You running out in the middle of sniper fire or chasing an armed man through the ER? (laughs) You were worried! (laughs) I mean, I thought something was going on here. I thought maybe I was getting to you. I I know you're getting to me. That's great! (laughs) You were worried. All right, so what if I was? It's the sappiest bullshit ever, and I hate it. (laughs) But the next part more than makes up for it. So then we go from that sappy bullshit to uh, Mark showing up at Doug's house and Holt is still there. We didn't think she would be there. Um, And looking her generic Eastern European sexy self. 
Doug isn't quite home yet. He's still out with Linda. And but then they show up together and obviously you find out Polda is still there and to be fair, they both played extremely cool. Like, oh, do we have a scheduling mix up? Oh. <laughs> yeah. I- yeah, I love I-, I love how she's like, wait, we know what's going on here. It appears we had a scheduling mix up and just yeah, we're both adults. I wrote down in my notes. Uh, Mark learns about polyamory for the first time. <laughs> like, yeah, because he's so he's like- so sincere about it. Like, he's so like best boy. Like, he's trying so hard to get her out of the uh, apartment. I think, in equal measure, trying to protect both Doug and Halda. Like, he's trying to protect both of like he's trying to protect Doug from getting his ass kicked, and he's trying to protect Halda's feelings. Like, he's like, why don't we go out for a drink? Like, why don't we get out of here? Because he knows that she's coming, or that Doug's coming back with Linda Farrell. So he's just like, let's just get out of here. Let's, you know. And he's so, like, best boy about it. And it just, nobody cares. <laughs> like, they are the most casual people on planet Earth. Yeah, but Mark calls uh, calls Susan and goes to bed. Susan I, doesn't pick up. I also appreciated the little, like, nod or the little, like, implication thing there where Doug was like, Doug said something to the effect of like, oh, go call your wife or whatever. And then he goes in the next room and he actually calls Susan. And I just appreciated that yeah. that little touch. Like I was just like, mm-hmm. well, still planting that seed, are we? So then in one of our wrap up moments, um, we go to Susan rocking little Susie and holding her as Mark's call goes to the machine. And then she picks up the phone and calls and we think she's calling Mark back at first but then it turns out that she's calling Dr. Halloran about potentially putting Susie up for adoption mm. she apologizes for calling so late but she's like hey I don't know if, like I don't know if they've ever talked before but she's like hey I heard you and your wife are looking for adopt looking for adopt <laughs> can I interest you in a healthy white baby pretty much and that's how it ends as it fades to black with with Susan holding little Susie and talking to Dr. Holleron. Mm. So this episode gave me whiplash. It is very f- frenetic. It's very zigzaggy, but I like it. Yeah, no, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination. We've had bad zigzaggy, though. Like, we've that's true. we have had some bad zigzaggy episodes to this point, and I feel like this is one of the better ones. This is a better example of how it how you can do zigzaggy and still end up with a good episode at the end. Yeah, great pacing, good beats. I literally laughed. I literally cried and it warmed my cold gay heart. <laughs> and you also got some sipping the tea moments with the with all the callbacks to the failed Boulentin shit and then uh-huh. Yeah, do we actually we don't actually see Genie in this episode, do we? No, we no don't. she's referred and to then, but... um, Boulentin yep. episode. And then the Carrie and Susan throwdowns are just they're mounting up really well. Yeah, they managed to hit a lot of different beats. And a lot of different tones and a lot of different, like, just that there's a lot of things going on here, but it never feels like any one aspect is getting shorted. Like, it feels mm-hmm. like everything is given the proper amount of attention and the proper amount of um, screen time. So, as a result, I think it ends up being a really strong episode. I, I think I said at the end of last week's episode that that one was my favorite of the of the season, and I think that's still true thus far. Um, but this one is definitely a good one. Like, it's... It's it's a solid entry. I th- I think so far we're what four? Yeah. Four in. I think so far we're, yeah, we're four for four for good solid episodes for season 2. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. I would say for me that 
three has been the best out of the bunch, but it's been like a, it's been like a, an eight with three sevens. Like it's been a very solid, very solid uh, bunch of episodes going forward here. All right. Well, that's going to about wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening. As always, the show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash setting the tone podcast for only a dollar a month. You can get our access to our show notes each week. Higher tier rewards once unlocked will include a special season recap episodes, a monthly bonus show called The Lounge, where we'll talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives and pop culture at that moment, and also monthly movie commentaries where we watch and talk a movie about a movie featuring an ER cast member. We mentioned Liar Liar earlier in this episode. Maybe. That'd be fun. We'll see. Uh, we'd also appreciate it very much if you followed us on our social media accounts. We are at SetTheToneER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, and we are at Podcast on Instagram. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is y-o-u dot e-l. Uh, you can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, uh, where we do a different pop culture topic each week and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me live tweeting my 10th rewatch of Buffy the Vampire Slayer at lowbob92345. And you can find me on Twitter. I am at randomgamer. That's G-A-M-3-R. And thank you again to everyone very much for listening. And please join us again next week and have a great week. <laughs>